We've been working our way through systematically through these last weeks, through the stories in John's Gospel, starting in John 11. And as we've moved through, we've gone from the moment of Lazarus, we've moved through the breaking of the uh, perfume uh, over the feet of Jesus by Mary. We looked at uh, Christ's journey towards the cross and towards him stepping in and that great moment of teaching when he says, unless the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all men unto him. Talking about the snake, talking about the poison of Numbers chapter 21 when the uh, snake was lifted up and those that have been bitten by the snake were healed. And when you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, your poison in your life is healed because he takes away the power of sin and death. And so we can see the way that he ministers and the way that he moves and the way that he works. We're going to move on to what are some of perhaps the most profound and most beautiful scripture that I want to share with you. Um, Maybe um, nine uh, days ago I went to the hospice and I was there with a family and... uh, was just praying uh, last moments of life. And you know, a go-to is, is this scripture. Just a reminder. And as we were praying together and ministering, just the love of Jesus, and that is always a terrific privilege and a terrific touching and an honor. And yet, um, to see the glory of the presence of Jesus in, in a believer's life. And, and, and this verse... These verses are verses that preachers and pastors and priests and those involved in ministry have prayed and wept over for generation over generation. They are some of the most powerful verses that remind us a truth that we have to be reminded again and again. Some of the most profound verses that when, when you're in that moment, we remind ourselves of these verses. And often you'll find that these verses with great men of faith, as you read the church history, these verses are verses that have, have stains on the pages because of the tears that they've cried over these verses. And I think if you can get and understand these verses and start to meditate on them and allow the scriptures to move in your own heart and make a difference in your life, these verses can transform your view of not only here on earth, but the eternity and destiny of the future. That as great reformers have prayed and looked at these verses, John 14, verse 1 through to 6. Disciples were now troubled men. They were troubled because Judas, who had betrayed Jesus had disappeared. They knew that trouble was coming. They knew that they were going to be arrested, that Jesus was going to be taken. He'd already said in no uncertain words, I am going, I am going to face um, the cross, I'm going to face the agony, I'm going to face the pain and the difficulty. And they're troubled. And he comes to them and he says these words, Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Let's just count there for a moment on verse 1. 
Do not let your heart be troubled. It's almost like a command. It's almost like the way he's speaking it. He's saying, do not let your heart be troubled. Now, when we often put these words, do not, uh, we use those with our children, don't we? Don't you dare. Do not. You know that moment? Mm, It doesn't work so well when they're in their 20s, but you try. (laughs) Do not. But, and often you can perhaps even read this and think that he's giving this command and just saying to them in a very stark way, do not let your heart be troubled. But the way that the Greek is constructed here, we have this very beautiful rhythm that suggests a gentleness that is coming from the mouth of Jesus when he turns and he says, do not. He's saying it gently. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let your heart be troubled. I'm with you. He's pouring healing medicine, if you like, into their troubled hearts. He is ministering deeply into their souls, as often the way that Jesus Christ does in our life and the problems that we face is that we know that he'll often come and whisper to us, it's okay, you're going to get through this. He whispers to us, I love you. He whispers gently that I am with you, that I care for you, that I love you. And here again, the gentleness of the passage says, do not let Don't let your heart be troubled wide at this moment. But things are going wrong. We live in a generation that is full of anxiety. We live in a generation that is full of worry. We live in a generation that is stressed out. And we're always talking in these terms. You you watch Fox News. You watch CNN. You look at all the global events And what is taking place? We've become a generation that is so afflicted by anxiety, so afflicted by worry, so worried about the violence, worried about the political shape, worried about political policy, worried about our own family members, that so often we become consumed with anxiety and worry. I remember one pastor uh, describing... Um, that he felt so stressed out um, that he felt like he was holding a pyramid of marbles. And that at any moment, if he moved, you know, this pyramid of marbles would fall away. I think it was Keats that said, the great poet, he said, I, I have spent a lifetime imagining the worst things that could possibly happen and are said about me and much of those things never came true and never happened. And there is so much worry. The most beautiful members of you here can create the most horrific horror movies in our brains, can't we? About what's going to happen, about what's going to take place, about what's going to happen. The kind of way that our thoughts can go. Our thoughts can become so poisonous, so negative, so dark, so, so we create these fictional, hypothetical scenarios within our minds about things and events and we allow fear, we allow worry, we allow anxiety to take over us. 
But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let your heart be troubled. You can notice this word again, troubled. We know this word. For those of you who have been here uh, systematically over the last five or six weeks, we've come across this word three other times. We came across this beautiful little Greek word, When Jesus is troubled in his heart, literally shaking as he sees the mourners at the funeral and his whole body is is literally having an internal earthquake and he looked and saw the mourners, he looked and saw the pain in the world, he looked and saw them and it says he was deeply troubled. And Jesus is troubled for the needs of this world and for your needs. We see the word pop up in chapter 12, there in chapter 11, uh, when he's deeply troubled because he understands that he's heading towards the cross and he's heading towards that moment when he must be separated from the Father. And the same word is used again. He was shaking, as it were, an earthquake of trouble, a spinning. He was willing to do it, but he knew what he had to do. He was troubled. We see it then in chapter 13, where the word troubled is again used when he connects and looks at Judas, and he's troubled because Judas is going to betray him. And now the same word is used. To say to you that when you feel as if you have an internal earthquake, when you feel as if life is crumbling, when you feel as if there is nowhere to turn, when you feel the spinning and the pain and the agony of life, Jesus Christ's words gently to every one of us is, do not allow your heart to be troubled. Why? How can he say this? How can you say, I can't allow, you know, be not troubled. How can you say this, Lord? And then he follows it up with the next little sentence. I love this. You believe in God. So don't allow yourself to be troubled. You believe in God. Also believe in me. In other words, you're not alone in this. You've got two bodyguards, if you like, if I can put it in this simplistic way, standing over you, and as they stand over you, they are there, and God is on your side. Don't be troubled, and also believe in me, because I am with you, and I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. I'm with you. Reminds me when I was young... And I was quite an energetic little boy. And I would go down with some friends to the railway tracks. And on the other side of the railway tracks, a big group of young boys would gather. We were about seven, eight years old. Little cheeky English boys, peaky blinders. And as we would gather there, uh, we would shout abuse at the kids across the railway track. You can imagine we were, what we were saying. You probably, if you heard us, couldn't understand us. But we were, we were shouting all kinds of things. And they were shouting it back. And I was going, come on. Yes, if you think you're hard. When all of a sudden they started running towards me. And I looked to my left, I looked to my right, and everybody had gone. 
It was me and about 20 of them. So I did what any tough little English boy should do, is run. <laughs> they're throwing stones at me, and the stones are hitting me. I've still got a scar from that event, just here. You, um, I, I, I've hit it well, but it's, I can still see it. Where, where, where from those kind of events, a stone hit me in the eye. And I'm running, and I'm running, and they're shouting, get him, get him. And all of a sudden, I bump into a great big round belly. A bear of a man is my dad. And my dad is stood there with the rake. And he shouts, Get away from my son, or I'll get you with the rake. <laughs> and they all stop. And he pushes me behind his back. And he stands there with his rake. I felt incredibly confident at that moment. He pushed me behind, my head popped out, and I was waving at them. Because I was stirred under the shadow of my father with the rake. I mean, the... this is the essence of the scripture that Jesus is trying to say to you. That when trouble comes towards you, that when, because have you noticed that worry hunts in packs? Have you noticed that you worry about one thing and you worry about another and another and it hunts in packs? But when you come under the shadow of the Almighty, he's saying, do not let your heart be troubled. Why? Because you believe in God and also believe in me, and we will stand over you, and we've got the rake. I'm with you. And then in verse 2, leaving verse 1 for a moment, he says, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have not told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? We cannot get away from this idea that we believe that, that he is preparing an eternal place for you. Is it true? Have you ever wondered? Have you ever wondered, as you look at this verse, in my father's house, there are many rooms? I prefer the King James Version, by the way. I think the word is mansions. I like that one. But whether it's a room or whether it's a mansion, whether it's a dwelling, you might have an idea what it would be like. You may have it all planned in your mind. But he's saying, basically, I have you in death and in life. I have you in safekeeping. I hold you. I am with you. I care for you. And have you ever wondered in life that somehow you've never really found your own home? You've never really found the place to live? Have you ever wondered in life? You know, I even remember before I ever met the gospel, before I ever knew the power of Jesus, before I ever became a Christian, I remember one night, maybe 14 years old, laying awake at night, staring out of my bedroom window on a frosty December night, 
thinking to myself as I looked at the stars and saw the moon, thinking to myself, there's something missing in the world and it feels so unfair that one day I'm going to die. It feels all wrong. It feels like there's something deeper going on in the universe and I don't know what this is, but everything feels utterly and completely unfair. And maybe you've been raised in Christianity and bless you for that and we rejoice in generational blessing that you've never had that thought because you've always been raised with that. But for somebody who has been raised with no Christ and suddenly starts to look up and wonder, this is my home, but it doesn't feel like my home. It feels like somewhere there should be another home somewhere. Do you understand that? C.S. Lewis put it a lot better than I could ever do. There have been times when I think we do not desire heaven. But more often I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts we have ever desired anything else. I told you, he can say it a lot better than I could ever say. That somewhere in the deep part of us, we know that we are not citizens of this place, but we are citizens of a greater kingdom. And this is what Jesus is saying to you, that even in life, and even in death, and even in trouble, I've got all the bases covered. I'm with you now in life, and even in death, I have prepared a place for you to go to. A mansion. And I've got many rooms. Many rooms for you. Many rooms. The Apostle Paul had a glimpse of this in 2 Corinthians 12. When he was taken up into that moment. Into the third heaven. I don't know whether it was physical or a vision, he says. He's pretty honest in this text. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in body or out of body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in body or out of body, I don't know. I quite don't know what happened. God knows. He heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. He he was aware in his spiritual journey of the depth and the deepness, and the understanding, and the connection, and the knowledge that there was, there was a, a, a heaven, a paradise. That, and at the moment in his prayer life, he went so deep to that point where he was caught up for that moment. Jesus said, I prepare a place for you, a beautiful place. My, uh, my friend, uh, my best friend, travels worldwide. And he was traveling from, from Sydney to Vancouver to the States and stopping off in Toronto. And he went to stay with a friend of his, uh, acquaintance, a business acquaintance, lovely person. And he said to me, Phil, I got to the house. It's a great house, big house. The, um, never met the wife, and her hospitality was amazing. She'd really prepared for my arrival. I said, well, what do you mean? 
Well, they had this lovely guest suite with a um, ensuite and everything. That's not unusual. The lovely guest area. And when I walked in, and after a while I was wandering around the room, I noticed that all the photographs were photographs of my wife and my kids and my dog and my car on the wall. You see, that at first I felt a little bit like really intimate photographs. Like, this is when we were on holiday in Ibiza. And this was where, this is the dog running through the hills of England. And he's not on Facebook. <coughs> and he was like, I didn't quite know what, I, what, what was going on. Whether this was something to be worried about. Whether this was a bit of strange. Whether I was entering a, a horror movie. Stephen King novel or something, I don't know. And then he said to her, oh, that, went down for dinner, he said, oh, that's lovely. I noticed in, in, uh, in, your, uh, in the spare room that you have framed pictures of all my family and my wife and everything. I've, I said, wow. Uh, how? Why? She said, oh, I know you've been travelling for so long. And I know how much you love your family. And I'm, I'm Facebook friends with your wife. I thought I would take all the photographs, print them off, put them in lovely frames, and arrange them so you, you remember what a beautiful family you've got. That, that's amazing, isn't it? Now, that's hospitality. When I come and stay at your house, I expect to see that. <laughs> I prepare a place for you. And, and rather than it being strange, it was like, oh, that is so caring. That is so remarkable. I've been in hundreds of homes and never had that happen. The thoughtfulness, the welcome, the preparation was amazing. You see, the heart of Christ in that verse is he is being so deeply thoughtful and so preparing that he says, I go and I prepare a place for you. That's why we we wept over this verse. That's why this verse has affected us so much. I go and prepare a place for you. And he says, believe that he is coming to take you to be with him. Not only does he go to prepare a place, but one day he promises he will come and take us to be with him in the day of resurrection. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. So where is Jesus? That I'm going to take you to that place. I'm going to be with you. I am with you and I care for you. And I, I'm going to come and there will be a day, dear friends, when the great trumpet will sound, when the dead in Christ will rise, the heavens will open, the clouds will part and our Saviour, in the same way he departed, he will return as the Saviour and the judge of this world and he will come in power and he will come in glory. So he's saying, 
I'm with you now in trouble. I've prepared a place for you in eternity. And one day I will come and bring all things together. It reminds me of 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. You and I are going to be transformed when we see him face to face. You and I are going to experience the glorious moment of being who God truly created us to be. This agony, this battle in, in, in Paul's life said, yet which I, uh, shall I choose? I cannot tell. Am I hard pressed between the two? My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But I've got to stay here, but my desire is to depart. Reminding us. And so as we bring this scripture to a close, I want to encourage you to put your faith totally in him. That by putting your faith totally in him, you are, and I are saying that, that, that he is with us in daily troubles and daily problems. And believe me, of course, we have daily troubles and problems. Job chapter 5 verse 7 says, as, as a fire burns and sparks go up to heaven, so a man's life is full of trouble and sparks and difficulties. But he promises that he will be with you and he promises that he cares for you and that he loves you. And he wanted the, the uh, disciples in this very last hour, as the shadow of the cross is present, he, he speaks to them in the most encouraging of ways and reminds them of the great eternal plan. He encourages them because he loves them. He encourages them even when he's going to face the torment and the agony of the cross. He encourages them that he is there, that there is a way, that they look at the world and and they feel like they are lost. But they're not lost. Because what they've got to do is put their faith in Christ. And Christ has all the bases covered. Both now, both in eternity and the great end of time. He has covered all the bases. And so Thomas says, you know that... You know the way to the place we are going. Thomas said to him, probably speak on behalf of all the disciples who are like mouthing to each other going, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? We're confused. It's okay, Jesus says. You don't know where I'm going, but you will understand but this is what I'm going to tell you right now. And if you understand this, it changes everything. What are you going to say? This is what I want to say to you. Verse 6. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, I am everything. I'm everything. Everything ends with me, everything starts with me, everything's about me, I am the way. There's only one true way to get to the Father and that's through the person of the Jesus Christ. There is no other way for salvation apart from Jesus Christ. I am the truth. 
There is only true truth in the world and there is the truth of this, that I am the way, the truth and the life. There are so many lies in the world, but I am truth its very self. I am the truth of the world. You put your trust in me, that is the truth. And thirdly, he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. What is the Greek word? Zoe. I am all things at the very bottom of creation, at the very level of that hydrogen atom that spins around as they they theorize and think about holding creation together. I am the way, the truth and the life. Everything comes back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything. So having traveled for a moment to subatomic atoms and travelled out to eternity for his great return and travelled back to my life today Jesus gently says to you and I do not let your heart be troubled you believe in God also Believe in me. End of story. This is the Saviour telling you. And I think for some of us, as we battle with our anxieties and our worries, it is really good to take hold of Scripture, meditate on it, repeat it, say it, think it through allow scripture to inform us. I've so enjoyed the depth and the wonder of of meditating on scripture to allowing the scripture to heal my heart and to bring peace within my life. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, a gentleman came to me. He said, you know, I had the hardest year last year. I had the most difficult work task had the most difficult individuals to deal with. And you said to us one day, memorize 1 Corinthians 13, that love is kind, that love is patient, that love is not envious, it is not jealous, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it does not dishonor others, it keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in good. Love always perseveres, always trusts, always hopes. So I memorized it, and every day, four or five times a day at work, I would speak it to myself. I would think about it. He said it changed my life completely. I've never told you this. I can't tell you all the... So it just, everybody said, well, well you're, it's so tough, but you're so happy. Why? Because of the power of Scripture in his life. And if you're worried about areas in your life, get a Scripture that connects to that problem, put it into your heart, and say it 50 times a day, and it will transform your spirit. It will change your view. 
It will change your marriage. It will change the way you view people around you. It will change your attitude to your kids. Whatever that scripture is, where you know where your anxiety and worry is, find God-given scripture linked to that subject and allow it to, to renew your heart and your mind. And to bring that change because he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thanks be to God. So Father, we thank you for this scripture. We thank you for the reminder We are grateful, Lord. Grateful. For a moment, I preached the first half of this sermon, made it youthy, for the youth. And I said to the young people, if you're carrying worries and fears and anxiety, just put your hand up. Shockingly, 50% of our youth put their hand up to receive prayer. That fear and worry and anxiety would be lifted, that they would see Christ in the middle of that. And this morning, as we finish, I'd love to pray for you. So let's stand together. And maybe as we stand together gently, I pray that the Lord will meet with you. I pray that the Lord will minister. And if you've got an issue that you're carrying, maybe present that to the Lord. It might help you to just hold it out with open hands. But however you are comfortable, Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning for the troubles of our lives and the trouble of our heart, we pray, Lord, that into this trouble and into this pain, Lord, that, Lord, you will come with your gentleness, with your love, with your grace, with your presence, in Jesus' name. Lord, so many of us need a touch from heaven. So many of us, Lord, need need you to wrap your arms around us. And Lord, I pray on this morning, Lord, you will wrap your arms around each one of us. In your love, I pray. And that we will know peace in Jesus' name. The peace of Christ, I ask. Whether that's to do with work, to do with family relationship, whether that is to do with sickness, 
to do with our own pain. Whatever area, Lord, we pray, Jesus, that you would gently come. You link thee in every way to us and whisper, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Also, believe in me. In Jesus' name. Amen.